Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham sponsored by NordVPN. Now today we've got a bit of a Tottenham pre-season special with Alistair Gold joining us from Perth in Australia. Ali, how's life down under? Yeah, good eye, Guest, he's good. Uh, I had to do it, I had to do it. Do you know what feels really weird was that the last podcast we did i had to do all of your stuff and it felt so unnatural i'm so used to you introing the show um it felt weird i was lost without you mate um yeah it's it's so strange to be down here because obviously we're recording this when it's the morning for you and it is the evening for me on the other side of the world perth is very cool if anyone gets a chance to go to Perth, it is um, yeah, a very cool place. The, the place we're kind of staying in is it's a bit Canary Wharf-like. It's uh, near Elizabeth Quay. It's very, very nice indeed. But just to give you a, a, an idea of the surreal nature of pre-season tour kind of life uh, as a journalist. So today I was at Perth Zoo watching Pedro Porro, James Madison, um, Alfie Whiteman and Sergio Regulon Play with kangaroos, wallabies, and koalas. <laughs> it's just not your normal day whatsoever. And then I turned around at one point. I saw Dejan Kurusevski, Ben Davies, Brandon Austin, various other players wandering around looking at all the animals as well. It was very surreal. And the only th- only because in our normal lives, kind of covering the Premier League, we don't see that. We might see them, you know, we see them walking through the mix zone and corridors. But we don't see them just kind of doing things that tourists would do. Um, it's been very strange. But most of all, even better than that, is we've got to kind of see the start of the Ange Postacoglu era and see him in his, I sound like I'm talking about wildlife now, but in his natural habitat um, here in Australia where they love him. They absolutely love him. The press conferences have been fascinating. And uh, yeah, it all gives us absolutely loads to talk about. Yeah, there's 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 so much to talk about. I mean, they've been in Australia just less than a week so far. Had uh, yeah. had one game on Tuesday, uh, a three-two defeat against West Ham. We're going to go in depth on what happened across the ninety minutes. But even though they lost, there's so many positives you can take from that game. Absolutely. Do you know what? And I know this sounds ridiculous, and I know those fans who will not hear anything if it's not a win, but it was probably the most enjoyable defeat I've ever seen Tottenham play in. And that's saying something. Um, I guess it's because, I suppose, the defeat didn't actually mean anything, so you couldn't have the pain of the defeat at the end of it because, oh, it was just so much better than last season. And I didn't expect to see the Postacoglu way as quickly. I must admit, I thought this one we'd see little bits and pieces maybe of some nice play. But bearing in mind, God, what's he had? I think he, I worked out, is it 19 days, something like that, 19, 20 days he's had with some of the um, kind of the non-international players. The international players, I think he's had less than a week with because some of them, although they came back, most of them didn't actually start training properly until the day before they flew out. And obviously you lose about a day and a half in traveling um, when you're coming all the way over here. I think it was like 9,000 miles away it is. Um, and I didn't expect to quite see the transformation in a lot of their play. And look, we know there were some aspects that were still there. Obviously, the central defence, we'll talk about that. But in terms of their play, oh my goodness, um, I had some of the stats. So Spurs passed 
623 passes they had in the match compared to West Ham's 198. And don't for any moment think that that's, oh, that's sideways passing. There was so much direct stuff. They created 32 chances, 32 shots on goal they had. I think West Ham had seven and only four were kind of decent ones of West Ham's. Uh, obviously, they scored from three, which is, is exactly what you've got to do. So not kind of um, doing down the fact that they won the game, but just as a spectacle, as a kind of football that we want to see. And to be honest, Postacoglu at the end, he wasn't that delighted with it. He said, oh, I can see bits of what I'm trying to do, but it's nowhere anywhere near what we're going to be doing. And it's like, wow. So there was one journalist in the press box I was sat next to who was like, yeah, was that really that much better than last season? I was like, what? <laughs> what were you watching last season? 32 shots on goal. I think that's probably about the same amount as across about 10, 15 different games last season. Um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the way they passed out from the back. I enjoyed the way the fullback suddenly would be inverted and you'd find one of them in the middle of the pitch while Basuma came back and split the defence to, to pick up the ball. I love the little partnerships that already were starting to form out there because I think that's really key to the Postacoglu system. I just really enjoyed it. Um, I even asked David Moyes afterwards about it and he was kind of quite really enthusiastic about Postacoglu and the way Spurs had played on the night as well. And he said we were fortunate that we didn't concede more. They had a lot of chances. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's... uh, if I wasn't excited before, which I was starting to get anyway, seeing that in the flesh up close and personal was really something to watch. And the training, because we watched the training the night before and you could see it all mapped out and starting to to be there. We even kind of knew roughly what the team was going to be and the second half team because we saw those. So, yeah, I mean, presumably back back home, it looked as good as it did up close, I'd hope. Yeah, very much so. I think obviously some people might have just seen the scoreline and not watched the game yeah. given what time it kicked off back here. So it was a 11 a.m. kickoff. But I think a lot of the Tottenham fans who have been watching it, you know, have been dishing out the praise to Ange Postacoglu and the players. And they're certainly looking forward to uh, next season. And this is just the start of it. This is the first 90 minutes. It's only gone to get better from here on, uh, I think that's a really good sign. And for me, I think you touched on it as well. The fact that he's had less than three weeks for with a number of players at Hotspur Way, and then the Pretty international the squad, isn't it? Yeah, and then the international yeah. players. What is a good chunk of who will only return to training last week? It might only be a couple of days with him, and everyone's just like taking on his football philosophy straight away and you can see that with all the forward passing all the good bits of play as well so early bodes well for the future uh there's obviously certain things that needs to be worked upon especially the defense and 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 said that in his post-match press conference that he's obviously partly to blame for the defensive woes because that's not something they've really worked on because they just haven't had uh the time uh as yet but as i said at the start of the pod so many positives uh, to talk about. And yeah, we might as well kick off with what happened in the game. So obviously a 3-2 defeat. Tottenham went 2-0 down. It was Danny Ings and Divan Mubama who scored for West Ham. Spurs restored parity in the second half. Giovanni Lo Celso and then Destiny Udogi with a, a debut goal. And then it was Gianluca Scamacca who scored for West Ham with about 10-15 minutes to go. And... 
on another day, Spurs could have probably scored about seven or eight, given the amount of chances they had on goal. It was 32 shots from them. And to be honest, it was right from the first whistle. Uh, two really good chances. I think it was Oliver Skipping, Kulisewski inside the first 10 minutes. Then it was West Ham who really, you know, came into it and got those two goals uh, to give them a bit of an advantage. But no, I think there's an awful lot we can say about Tottenham's performance. Then in terms of the team selection, it was quite a strong team he put out as well because usually in pre-season it's a bit of a mix and match and you'd probably thought he'd probably start more of the players who were with him for the first day of pre-season on July the 1st. But there was a number of international players in there such as Harry Kane, James Madison and Dane Kulisewski. Absolutely. The only thing that changed from training was Tongi Onimele was in the midfield in the first half team because what he did, he essentially had the first half and second half teams playing against each other in a training match. Um, so Tongi and Son were both in the first half team. Obviously, Tongi took a whack on his ankle towards the end of the session. It was a weird moment because he was down for a long time. It was obviously a really painful one. But then as he was limping around the pitch, kind of going off, he like suddenly decided, nah, stuff this, and ran back onto or hobbled back onto the pitch and set up, came for a goal. But obviously, it was just painful enough. Maybe it uh, ballooned up a little bit the next day, but he's only expected. He was talking, Ange, Ange like he's my mate, Postacoglu, was talking about afterwards as if um, he was probably going to be back for the next match. I didn't think it was a serious one. Um, Sonny was left out purely because they didn't feel that he was ready yet because um, he only arrived to meet up with the squad. He or he joined in training on the Saturday because he rather than do you know long haul flights back to UK and then back to Australia again, he went straight from South Korea. So his first training with Postacoglu wasn't till Saturday. Skippy was the same, but obviously he was only in a final in the under twenty one Euros a week beforehand. So he he was pretty match sharp. So he was fine to go. So Skip and Solomon came across from the second half team. Lacelso and Pape Matassar came into the second half team. They were originally, presumably, they might have just got on late in the game if there were any issues. Maybe they wouldn't have even featured, which is ironic because I thought both played really well. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was it was a strong team. But then what I would say is, there's 31 players in that squad. Yeah. There's so many kind of decent players that he the both, and I think that was the issue for West Ham. Um, obviously, you've absolutely got to give them uh, this as as one kind of aspect of defence is that West Ham didn't bring, I don't know if it was all or certainly a lot of their international players. They still, first half, put out a strong team, which is why most of their team played about 60, 70 minutes. Um, but yeah, obviously, when they had to make changes, it was kind of a mixed bag of changes. I think they had some younger players in there as well. But the key for me was like, so think about Tottenham last season, counter-attacking, all of that sort of stuff. And, and we'd look at the possession and it'd be like 20, 30% at times and things like that. Possession last night for Spurs was 72.2% of the ball. And not only that, but their pass success rate was 91%. And that shows you as well that it's it's a lot of short, sharp, direct, get the ball forward passing rather than the old, let's loft it forward and see what happens with it. West Ham's pass rate was only 74% success. Um, it's just, it was night and day compared to uh, 
last season. And even, you know, I know that I said they had 32 shots on goal. Fabianski had to make 11 saves. So it was they had a fair few on target. Solomon had a couple of really good chances as well that maybe he could have done better with. Kane and Charleston looked very off the pace, I'd say. If you had your two centre-forwards really kind of on the ball, you know, they both could have got a hat-trick each, to be honest, the way that match went. Um, it was just lovely football. Amount of times that you saw the ball kind of suddenly switched out wide, and and the idea is to those wingers are, are utilised a lot. They occasionally go through the middle. There were some nice one twos. There was a really nice one two Basuma did with Skip back, healed it back into his path. Kane dummied it, and then Basuma got it, and I think it was deflected wide. It was either deflected wide or the keeper got a hand to it. I can't remember. Keeper but saved it. The keeper, yeah. yeah. On the whole, they used the ball out wide a lot. It goes out very quickly to the wingers. Um, and it was lovely, honestly. You got a little partnership. You had Solomon and Regulon linking up, Poro and Kulusevsky at times. Um, Basuma and Madison formed quite a nice partnership. Basuma and Skip looked quite good. Basuma playing in the number six role. Um, and it's interesting because it does allow for less of Harry Kane dropping back. The ball is very quickly moved, unless he swaps with someone, unless Madison maybe then goes up front for a little while or occupies the space anyway that he would. Um, it's interesting to see how it works. And that was the thing for Postacoglu afterwards. He said he wasn't happy yet. That He said some of the players were going into the positions he told them to go into. He said he wants it to be natural and instinctive rather than, oh, I think I need to go here because the boss told me to. He said he, the moment they realise, oh, right, the ball's here, I need to be heading into that direction, I need to head into that pocket of space or whatever. He says the moment they do that instinctively, you're going to see like lovely, lovely football. But I thought it was a massive positive. It was a way bigger step than I expected in the first game. Um, like you said, he said that the he hadn't been able to work on defensive set pieces yet. His his whole kind of idea at the moment is let's get the philosophy across. Let's get a very different style of passing football across. Once we started to ingrain that in them and they kind of know what they're doing, then we can start working on the defensive aspect and the shape and the where who goes where from set pieces. But everything is being thrown into this belief thing. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's we've we we kind of spoke about this before with um Postacoglu quotes from the past. And it's you saw it in operation in that he tries to create almost like a security blanket around the players where they don't need to worry about making mistakes. Yes, they might give the ball away once in a while, it might lead to a goal that we all go, Oh my goodness, that's so why would you play that ball? But it's because Postacoglu's told them to, and he will not tell them off for it. If they do that and it results in a goal, he will say, okay, I love the fact that you were trying that. That's exactly what I want you to do. The amount of times we saw players who normally would actually look shaky, and I know we're going to criticise them for other things, but Sanchez and Tanganga and Davies, there were moments when they were pinned in in their own kind of um, almost near the touchline and suddenly the ball was just passed. It was like a sudden quick triangle, and it was out of there. And that is exactly what Postacoglu is getting into them. It's like, it's okay. Try it. If it, if it doesn't fail, sorry, if it fails, that's my fault, not yours. And it instantly lifts a massive weight off their shoulders. Um, and yes, we're going to criticise Sanchez for the third goal because he, he kind of switched off for a bit. But actually, if you watch it back and watch a lot of his passing, he was like a different version of Sanchez. He was using the ball very quickly and directly and without hesitation and doing it well. Um, yeah, that system with 
more weeks in those players and understanding where they need to be and what they need to do. Also, plus a bit more quality in there as well. Ooh, who knows what Spurs could do? Again, that's a huge thing to say after one game. But the style of football that's coming, you can see the threads of it. And that, that's very exciting. One of the main talking points after the game and obviously during the game as well was how poor Tottenham were at the back in terms of the goals they conceded. So obviously we'll uh, discuss those three goals. Uh, we'll start with the first one, which was Danny Ings getting a header rather all too easy, to be honest. And I think when you look back at it, it was just too easy uh, for West Ham to score. Uh, ball obviously came back out to Jared Bowen. Had you know, all the time in the world that he wanted to put a cross in, wasn't closed down uh, in sufficient time. And then Danny Ings, who was basically free on his own at the back post, you know, moved inside. Sergio Reggion tried to get the ball with his foot rather than going uh, with his head. And, as you do. As you do. <laughs> as you do for a position. header. And yeah, just easy as you like for Ings to find uh, the net. I don't think there was anything the keeper could have done about it. Yeah. No, it was, they were all over the place. Why Regalon was on the right, I have no real idea. Um, and it was, it was a very kind of weak, daft attempt to try and get the ball. It's like you could see that um, Danny Ings was kind of stooping in to try and hit. Why don't you say stooping? It wasn't even stooping that much. And I don't understand why, yeah, Regalon was doing that. Regalon had a funny game. I thought he actually looked quite bright going forward. To be honest, it's just the same old Regalon, isn't it? It's bright going forward but maybe lacking a little bit of quality sometimes in the final third and in his own third uh, at the back, not being strong enough. Um, and yeah, it was a bit of a mess. Like you say, Vicario, I, I wouldn't blame him for probably either of the goals he was in goal for. They were both point blank headers. Um, he had a couple of shaky moments. He had one uh, sliced kick out for a goal kick. Had one punch where he punched it up in the air and managed to flatten. I think it was Tangangra on Bonner in the process. But he also made a very good save from Bowen, laid uh, low down, which was a nice save. Um, but yeah, that first goal, it was just, it was just a lack of organisation in the back line. And and like Postacoglu says, that will come. That's something they need to still work on. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether after that he decides to do some of that this week or whether it's still so crucial to try to get the attacking stuff in first. Then the second goal, what I think came five minutes later from Divin Mubama, uh, you know, very similar to the first one. It was just free header for the uh, young striker. It all came from a corner. The corner was from uh, Vicario, obviously trying to pass the ball yeah. out once Pedro Porro had played it to him. He unfortunately just got it wrong, sliced it for a corner. This is one of those where maybe if it was Hugo Lloris in that and Conte was manager, he'd have just wanted you know, the goalkeeper to just boot the ball forward. But Ange wants, obviously, the players to be playing it out from the back. And it was just one of these that went wrong. But as bad as that was, what was the follow from the corner was even worse because it was just a short corner. Spurs had completely switched off. Uh, ball was swung in and I think Mbama sneaked between Poro and Tanganga to head home. Really good header from the West Ham yeah. player, but it's just one of those you don't want to concede from a Tottenham perspective. No, it was just such a space between the two players. Yeah. Uh, no one seemed to be picking anyone up. Poro just kind of drifted over his head. Um, yeah, and Tanganga was just kind of 
was nowhere near him. Um, yeah, another set piece kind of routine, which just went against Spurs. But again, at the moment, we shall listen to Postacoglu and, and believe that it's it's just something they haven't worked on yet. If it becomes an issue still in the season, then that's another thing. But also, I would imagine that uh, we'll see some changing up of those players. For me, well, I don't think you're definitely... I'd, I'd, I'd be almost certain you're not going to see Tanganga starting in the Premier League when the season begins. And I'd also maybe hazard a guess that Emerson might start the matches as well uh, to begin with and battling with Porro, um, who may end up being a winger, who knows. Um, so I don't think you're going to have those two players there. Um, yeah, we'll see. Lots, lots to work on in that respect as well. Yeah, and then the third one from Skamaka. This was about 10, 15 minutes to go. I think at that point, Spurs had got it back to 2 2. I think everyone thought if there was going to be another goal in the game, it was certainly going to be Tottenham from the way they were yeah. pushing on. West Ham just, I don't even think they had a chance on goal in the second half, probably prior to uh, Skamaka's finish. But it was just through ball, uh, through to Skamaka. Sanchez caught a bit flat footed and he just raced through on goal and, you know, calmly slotted it past Austin. But as you were saying, yeah, maybe all eyes would be on Sanchez for that. But other than that, he had a good game. Yeah, but it doesn't work like that, does it? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't, no. unfortunately. Uh, this is the issue. And then this is the, the thing with both Tanganga. I wrote this in my talking points um, today is that I actually felt Tanganga made loads of blocks in his own box. When I put my player ratings out at the end, of course, he didn't have a great mark, but people were like, oh, he should have had like minus five, one of these kind of silly marks. And I was like, well, actually, you're kind of, I get why you're saying that because he was involved, there was a goal and he was there kind of thing. But actually, he made a lot of blocks and tackles in his box. I actually thought he did a lot of good work. But unfortunately, same with Sanchez. Sanchez, if you look at his contribution, he did loads of little quick passes out of tough areas. He did a one driving run up the pitch. I remember him doing it. He headed on uh, Perisic's ball into the box for La Celso to volley home from. Technically, he ended up with an assist, I think. Um, obviously, it's a friendly, so it doesn't really count anyway. But still, but the problem is both of those players both switched off in key moments. And that's the killer for them. It's that they can play for 94 minutes really well. But if they concede in the 95th minute in added time because they just switched off, that's unfortunately means that's the definition or the difference between the best defenders and the rest, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it was a shame. And there was all kind of stuff happening in the middle as well. Hoybier trying to get the ball and not really being able to get it. And then Fornells, to be fair, it was a really nice ball. Um, Emerson was miles up the pitch. Um, which, to be fair, that may be where he's been told to be. Um, but Sanchez, if that's the case, has to be more switched on. It was far too easy. He was like static as he got away from Inskamaka. Um, it was a good finish, but yeah, it's uh, again, we hope that these are the things to be worked on. If these things are still happening, come let's say the Shakhtar Donetsk and Barcelona matches. Then I think we can like, ooh, <laughs> like Brentford and Man U is going to be a bit scary. Um, it could end up, you know, like 10-9 some of these games or something. But um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, Postacoglu will have learned a lot as well from that one match and certain players that maybe, you know, I think 
it'll be interesting in the next game, knowing that Postacoglu is going to go to switch it up to about 60, 70 minutes for uh, 11 players. We should very swiftly get a sense, I think, of what is starting 11, barring any transfers that will come in, will look like, because you know he'll be trying to give the most minutes to those who are going to start against Brentford. Um, so here, yeah, we'll see we'll see who gets the nod in those defensive positions, because there are a few players like um, Eric Dyer, Joe Roden, people like that, who we watch do a little defensive drill um, all across on their own with... Um, who is it? Jed Spence, Roden, Dyer, and Harvey White as the left back. And I think that was Alfie Whiteman in goal for that one. I think it was five, kind of the five-man defence, including the keeper that wouldn't play in the match. And you've still got them to get some semblance of fitness as well. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to see how that game works out. I, I would say I'm a little worried for Lion City Sailors at the moment. <laughs> That's my fear. Um, you know, it could be one of the biggest upsets in friendly history, but uh, my gut tells me, having also heard from some people I know that live in Singapore um, about some of the previous matches they've played against uh, European sides. Yeah, if Spurs can create 32 uh, shots on goal against West Ham, I do fear that the... Uh, yeah, the sailors uh, may be sunk uh, by a considerable margin, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've got a long time to go. We've got another two countries to, to be done with before we even arrive in Singapore. Did you see the Bayern Munich score the other day in their friendly game? Was it 20-something, wasn't it? 27-0. Well, they so, don't need a striker, do they? No, clearly not. Uh, you no. just hope it, it'll be a bit more competitive against the uh, Lion City sailors because I think that's what you want in... <laughs> Pre-season. I mean, 27 nil. that's no use to anyone, is it? At the end it of isn't. the day, a game but like this that. This is my fear about that game. I guess <laughs> you just got to use it as a training match, haven't you? And use it about patterns of play, positioning, where people need to be, and not look at the fact that maybe Richarlison will remember about offsides and, and how not to be offside and, and might score 10 or something. Who knows? Right, we'll move on to uh, a lot of positives in the final third. Uh, I thought one player who, you know, stood out in the first half was Manor Solomon on yeah. his Tottenham debut, only being with the club uh, a matter of days. But he started on the left wing with obviously Son not being in the squad. And, you know, right from the off, he took the game to the opposition, linked up well with uh, Sergio Reggion for Oliver Skip's chance. It was a chip ball over from Reggion. I think Solomon took it on. Played it across the skip who, you know, I think took it on the turn, did he? Uh, and then saw a shot saved. And then a matter of minutes later, Solomon again put in a good ball across the area for Dane Kulaseski. And then the player himself had a, a couple of chances towards the end of the first half. There was one of those very reminiscent of the two goals he scored uh, for Fulham last season, which basically carbon copies starting on the left wing, cutting inside and killing the ball into the far corner. Fabianski tips one of those over and then he had an opportunity in the box. I think a few players were claiming for a penalty, but he'd already got his shot away and maybe should have done better. But in terms of first 45 minutes from Mana Solomon, who comes to Tottenham uh, on a free transfer, gives Ange Postacoglu another couple of options in the attacking third because of obviously his versatility he can play on either flank through the middle i thought it was a really positive performance from uh the new signing yeah it's very bright really bright um 
it kind of was what I expected it in terms of we know he's a very direct dribbling kind of player, very confident on the ball. But I also think we saw some of the other aspects that maybe the reason that he hasn't got many assists in his career. I think that's something that Postacog is going to have to work on him because I did get that feeling, maybe a little bit Lucas-like, that when he's off and running, he's looking to go towards goal. He's probably less looking. There were a couple of times he tried to set up a few chances, but on the whole, he gets his head down and he tries to look for that. He loves that cutting inside curling shot, uh, which he had one go at, which the uh, Fabianski saved. So, yeah, if, if Postacoglu can work on the final ball and trying to make that a thing in his armory, he could be very, very useful, probably from the bench for Spurs. Um because the way to look at it is, is he is the Lucas slash Danjuma replacement. Um, and yeah, he looks a handful. He, it's got this really good kind of low center of gravity, very difficult to get off the ball. Um, he spoke in the mix zone after the game. He spoke very well, um, kind of what he's looking to bring to the club. And, and it's essentially just exciting, attacking, dribbling, passing football. Um, only 23 years old as well, so he's got plenty of time ahead of him to uh, to develop. And yeah, you can you can understand you can understand him fitting into this Postacoglu system. Like I say, if he can get the passing included in it, um, get his head up a, f- a couple of times, he can be a bit of a weapon for Spurs. And I, I felt that he was probably the most dangerous out of a front three that included Harry Kane and Dejan Kulusevski, which which said a lot about his debut, really. Yeah, another shining light in the first half was Yves uh, Basuma. I think he's a player a lot of Tottenham fans were expecting uh, plenty from in the 23-24 season because, you know, his first 12 months at the club was a bit of a nightmare in all honesty. Uh, found opportunities hard to come by with Pierre-Emil Hoiberg and Rodrigo Bensonker ahead of him in the pecking order. I think he found it hard to adapt to Antonio Conte's tactical demands and then he had that Injury, what left him on the sideline uh, for three months. But he, he did make his case in the final three games of the season. I think to finish last season on a positive certainly helped him going into the summer. And what we've seen from him in training so far is just he's raring to go. And he, he looks more like the Basuma that we've seen previously at Brighton on the pitch, playing in that number six role. Um, what he did do uh, at Brighton under Graham Potter was really good on the ball, takes it forward. So unlucky not to score because that was some incredible play uh, with the back heel from Oliver Skip, the dummy from Harry Kane. And then it was a really good nutmeg from Basuma on the West Ham defender and Fabianski saving low down. Uh, I think there's a lot of positives from Basuma and I think there's certainly a lot more to come from him this season. Yeah, no, I, I'm really... Yeah, no, I'm doing the... What's the concrete way of talking already? Um from what I understand, towards the end of last season when he came back, there was a lot of people within Spurs and Ryan Mason's coaching team who were like, wow, this this is the Basuma. This is the one we've been kind of been waiting for. He just, like you say, had such a nightmare of a season. You know, this time last year, he was stuck with COVID in a hotel room in Korea, had to stay a few days afterwards. He um, just didn't really ever fit Conte's system. It just wasn't his happy place. He was kind of, it's quite a repetitive, uh, very structured system. Whereas for him, he just, 
he just wants to play football. That's kind of his thing. It's not about repetitive kind of motions and movement. And obviously then picked up, uh, what was it, a stress fracture in his ankle, wasn't it, towards the end? And then ended up being out for, what, three months after his yeah. operation? But then I don't think it was any coincidence that we saw him come back into Mason's system, which was nothing like Conte's, and suddenly, oh, that's the old, that's the Basuma from Brighton. And from what I understand, Postacoglu, I think we've mentioned this in previous podcasts, Postacoglu really liked him, really has come in and like, that's my guy, that's my midfield man kind of thing. But from what I understand, certainly on this tour, is he's kind of taken that on a notch now in that he's just been telling Basuma behind the scenes, you know, you're so important to me. You know, you are going to be a big, really building him up. And we've seen that. He looks so confident and happy, not only on the pitch, but off the pitch. Most of Spurs' social media has pretty much been Basuma related. It's him having a laugh, joking around with people. I understand that, you know, silly little things like he's the guy that does all the music. You know, he's and you always see him mixing with different groups. There's no clicks because he's going from group to group. I mean, there wasn't there something that came out the other day where he was like singing the uh, was it Machacho's song with like the uh, Argentinian players and everything. He's becoming this real, in every sense, a hub of the team. On the pitch, he's the hub within the starting eleven, and off the pitch, he's kind of the guy that everyone seems to like. Like Sonny, everyone really kind of gets on with. Um, and what I understand that Postacoglu has been telling him as well is that he kind of wants him to be, he's 26 now. I'll tell you what, which is a weird thing I've noticed. If you look at how many players in Spurs got a 26, 20, it's really weird. Every time I write an article at the moment, I'm talking about the 26-year-old. You've got like, uh, just off the top of my head, Tongi, Tongi Basuma, Vicario's 26. Is Lacelso 26? He might even be 26 as well. That is around um, that age, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. There's so many different ones. I feel like I've mentioned at 26. It's because that's they're coming into that almost prime age, isn't it? It's the age where you really need to step up another level. And for Basuma, that's what Postacoglu wants. He wants him to start becoming one of the leaders in the squad. He wants him to inspire and encourage the younger players as well. And I don't think it's any shock. We kind of we could hear it, but also I think we saw a video before they set off um, where you could see in training Basuma talking to the younger players, encouraging them in the games, and come on, guys, and really geeing them up and everything. And that's what Postacoglu wants. He wants him to go from being this incredibly talented player who maybe was not like a bit of a, an island or a lone star, as it were, but someone he wants him to, like I say, become a leader. Because let's be honest, you're going to lose Lloris. Hoybier may leave this summer. Is open to leaving anyway. We don't entirely know what's going to happen with Kane yet. Eric Dyer probably isn't going to be a guaranteed starter anymore. That's the entire leadership group wiped out. So Postacoglu needs to start creating or finding his own leaders now from within his squad. And Basuma is going to be the number six. Like I say, can be the axis of everything. And you need that to be your your skipper, your captain uh, type. You know, if Kane stays, obviously he'll be the captain. I think he'll be a good captain, but Basuma can be one of his generals, one of his kind of unofficial captains on the pitch as well. And keep an eye out for Vicario. Spoke to Vicario the other day. Um, that's coming out later today, I think, that interview. He's a very mature, intelligent, well, um, how do I put it? He speaks very well. He comes across very clearly. He's a good communicator. So I, I w would imagine that quite swiftly he's going to become a, a respected voice in the dressing room as well. But Basuma, 
yeah, I'm very excited to see. As long as he can stay steer clear of injury, Basuma could have a huge season under Postacoglu. He absolutely loves Postacoglu already. Whatever has happened between, you know, we, we have all this kind of talk about Postacoglu being this scary person for some players and, you know, talking to them only for a minute at a time here and there. And Basuma loves him. He, he was at stopped in the mix zone. He was talking about him. He's like a dad. He's like an uncle. He's like your friend. And it's like, what? I don't think I've ever seen anyone clearly. But that's the state of mind that Basuma's in. He's in this happy kind of, he's probably, you know, really struck it or hit it off well with Postacoglu. Um, and yeah, it bodes for a, a terrific kind of relationship between the two that's only going to benefit everyone at Spurs into this season. Before we move on to the second half, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Absolutely. So if you're not aware, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, no lagging and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. So for example, out here in Australia, if there's anything that I can't pick up because I'm technically in Australia, I can switch my phone to thinking it's back in the UK and I can watch those things that I pay good money to be able to watch and I'll be able to watch them over here in Australia. Um, And not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. That's because you can purchase, let's say, streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So you could, let's say, book flights from another country. It might be cheaper rather than booking them from the UK. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So in the second half against West Ham, it was all change. Ange Postacoglu made 11 changes at the break, so it was... Brandon Austin in goal, back four of Emerson Royal, Davinson Sanchez, Ben Davis, Destiny Doggy, midfield three of Pierre Emil Hoybieg, Giovanni Lascelso, and Pat Matasar. Then in attack, it was Alfie Devine, Richarlison, and even Perisic. You know, Tottenham finished the first half really strongly. You're thinking, make 11 changes here. It might take a bit of a while to get going. It was literally re- relentless right from uh, the, the whistle in the second half. And didn't Postacoglu said it after the game. Uh, I think he was asked, what did you say to the players at half time? Well, they were actually on the pitch warming up. So I didn't really say anything yeah. to him. And nah, I think he'll have been so, so impressed with the performance in the second half. Because as I was saying, it, it was just non-stop from them. West Ham couldn't even get out their own half. And Spurs could have had a lot more than two goals. Yeah. Do you know what it showed the most for me? The philosophy and the system. It showed that it didn't matter who the players were. They were all playing or trying to play from exactly the the book of Postacoglu, how he wanted them to play. Um, and yeah, if anything, yeah, it probably did. They look more dangerous in the second half. Um, obviously, West Ham would have been tiring a bit, their fitness levels. And, and like I said before, they're their changes maybe wouldn't have been as good. Although Skamaka, the goal scorer, came off the bench, didn't he? So, yeah, it did have a few that could come off the bench. But, um, yeah, it, it was great to see. And, and the weird thing was, was you got to see some players that we all expect or may still move on this summer 
actually really fitting into a bobble to conclude system well. We saw Lo Celso playing well, uh, score a lovely goal, a nice volleyed finish. We saw Perisic with two terrific deliveries, which we know he can provide into the box, playing as a, as the left winger. Um, and do you know what? Pape Matassar, oh, he looks every inch a Postacoglu number eight. He really does. His ability to just very confidently, without any fuss, take the ball, tight situations, play it to another person, then drive on himself. It fits it so well. I'm fascinated to see whether Postacoglu looks to kind of really develop him now into number eight or whether the club decide that maybe goes on loan to play every single minute of a season to properly develop. I don't know. But uh, now he looked good. And Alfie Devine. Alfie Devine, my goodness. That, oh, that he could, I, I just think he could be a, such a good player. And that, for me, proved another thing, that the best players, you can shove them anywhere and they'll still shine. And, you know, Alfie Devine is is an attacking midfielder. He he can sit a little bit deeper as a central midfielder if you want, or he can play further up the pitch. I haven't I've very rarely seen him out on the wings, and he was put out on the right wing because, like I said earlier, Solomon was drafted into the first half team. Um, in the training match, it was Alfie Devine was on the left of the midfield three. It was meant to be him with Hoybier and who switched across into the first half one. Who was the other player I said? Basuma Skip. And, oh, Skip. Skip. Sorry, that was it. Yeah, it, it was going to be uh, Madison, Tongi, and Basuma in the first half. So Skip came out in the second half. So Divine obviously then had to go up front with Solomon coming out because Lacelso went on to the left and Saar came in as well. And he looked like a guy that's used to playing on the right. He kind of had that almost like a bit of a Phil Foden-y kind of vibe and that he, he was very confident on the ball, popped up in lots of dangerous spaces. It was his shot that was saved that led to the sec- uh, second goal, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was the second goal. Um, so impressed. Only 18 years old. It's a big decision for Postacoglu now because I feel like Alvedon is going to be such a talent that I'd love to see him getting more and more minutes here and there for Spurs from the bench. But there's the other side to it is, is he better served by, like I said about Saar, going out on loan and playing week in, week out, 90 minutes a match kind of thing. It's a really difficult one. Some players at that level, they're just ready for the top flight and you start shoving them in and getting them into that. And other players maybe, like Harry Kane, need that little bit of experience lower down the leagues first. Um, yeah, it, it might be a, a question very much for Postacoglu in the next few. We've got another four press conferences with him. So we'll, um, yeah, that might be one to ask about Alfie and what happens with him this season. I think Alfie just needs regular football this season. Is at the age where he needs to play week in, week out to obviously uh, aid his development. Uh, I was really, really impressed with him. Uh, I think he's made for the number eight role in Postacoglu's team, but I think that just shows he can play anywhere, really, if you want him in the yeah. final third. And then what struck me is, you know, given his lack of experience in the first team, a number of the established players, you know, maybe think, oh, if he's open, maybe pass to someone else who's got a bit more experience. But 
they're not phased at all. I think they know his quality from training with him day in, day out last season in the first team. And, you know, they're not afraid to give him the ball and let him do what he does best. And, yeah, uh, that chance he had on goal from a, a really tight angle, I think others maybe in a similar position may, might have put it across goal. Uh, but he certainly got the confidence. I think it was the right decision uh, from him. And, yeah, I was really, really impressed. I think in terms of what the future holds for him this coming season, I think alone's best for him. I think, obviously, you've got to assess your options in the number eight role, first of all. But given the fact that there's no European football on the agenda, that's going to limit his minutes. And then in terms of your Carabao Cup and FA Cup, I think... Obviously, Spurs are crying out for a trophy. Not won one since 2008. Given there's no European football, I think Ange has to go all out for a trophy this season. So maybe in terms of the cup games, you're going to see a bit of a stronger eleven. So the minutes might not be there for Alfie Devine in, in the cup. So for me, I think alone would be the best option for him this season. But there's another what? four friendly games on the agenda for him to make his case to Postacoglu but I think given what he did in the second half I think we're going to see him get a few more minutes across these next four games yeah I think potentially these could change because they're very much subject to change we may have an opportunity to speak to Alfie in the next few days a couple of days I can't remember whether it's in Bangkok or whether it's in Singapore but there is potentially an opportunity to talk to him. So I'd be fascinated to see kind of what he'd like to do. Um, he may have to have a safe answer, you know, he may have to just say whatever the gaffer wants. But, you know, it'd be interesting to see kind of what he does really feel about, because um, I know he's wanted to go out and loan a couple of times before and just injuries, unfortunately, have come just as it was, something was about to happen for him. Um, yeah, I was so... You know, we're always kind of big supporters on here of academy players and them getting chances and minutes. And we love because we, we cover the, you know, the youth games as well as much as we can in and around the first team. We love it when these players kind of get their chances and especially show that they can do it. And I know this is only a friendly, but I did think Postacoglu will have come away being very happy with Alfie Devine and thinking to himself, yeah, there's an option there. There's a player that I can develop. Every manager maybe unless you're Antonio Conte, really wants to turn a young player into a star. You know, that is, as a coach, I know there's a difference between managers and coaches sometimes, but I think every coach wants to be able to say, yeah, see that young man over there? I turned him into a star. I made that player into a star, whatever. I know Pochettino loves doing that. So Postacoglu, I would hope that he's similar. And I think he will see someone in Alfie Devine and maybe see a bit of a project there. Um, and I hope so because he's got everything in his locker to do it. They just need to make sure the development goes at the right um, speed. Um, and as you say, that may mean that alone is is the best thing first. But uh, yeah, another exciting player. I think Tottenham fans have wanted to see him for quite a while as well because in next January, in January 2024, it's going to be three years since he scored no. uh, against Marine in the FA Cup. Still the and youngest goal scorer, isn't he, in the club's history? He is, and he's had, you know, a couple of minutes here and there, but that is at hasn't the age now. Hasn't had his now. Premier League debut, has he? 
No, uh, he's been been on the bench a number of times uh, yeah. in in the Premier League, and yeah, it was against Pomp. He won it back in January, where he came on for stoppage time, and you know did okay. But I think we'll probably see a bit more of him in pre-season. Then Ange Postecoglou and Tottenham have a decision to make over Divine for the coming season. Another player who uh, stood out for me in the second half, Giovanni Lacelso. I thought it was really, really, really. Good performance from a player who's not won a Spurs shirt for 18 months or so now, uh, given his time away at Villarreal. I know there's a lot of talk this summer with amongst Tottenham fans about Tangi Yondambele being the player who can excel in the number eight role. Maybe not so much about Celso, but I think he showed that he can uh, be a big player for Ange Postacoglu if uh, obviously Postacoglu wants to keep him at the club and Celso also wants to stay at the club amid question marks if he'll make a move this summer. Uh, he was involved uh, right from the off. Then all of Spurs' good play in the second half, you know, mainly came through him. Uh, there was a moment where he played in Richarlison with a, you know, a very, very good through ball. Uh, Richarlison clipped the outside of the post. And then Ange Postacoglu certainly acknowledged their good play from the Celso because the TV cameras picked up on him, applauding the player. And, you know, got a goal as well that his performance deserved. Uh, really good volley from uh, six yards out. And maybe is he someone that could maybe start this next game against Leicester on Sunday? Yeah. Do you know, we completely missed the chance to say Postocoglu could have a divine intervention. But <laughs> we'll, we'll move on to Lo Celso. Um, yeah. Yeah. Personally... I still think he might move on this summer. Um, like I say, he wasn't, I don't think, was set to be in either first or second half starting 11. Um, but again, you know, maybe Postacoglu learned something from seeing him in his team and, and how he plays. Um, but I've wondered that about Lacelso for the f- last few months. I thought he'd fit the Conte system really well as well. Um, but there's something about him that, maybe just doesn't quite fit as well as he looks he's going to because, you know, he plays in midfield three for Argentina and is very effective. I just wonder with Spurs whether, because there is an interest in him and there are some clubs sniffing around, whether they feel, okay, well, we can get some money for him and put him back, put that money back into areas of the team that do need it, like the centre-back position and things like that. And what was quite interesting was we um, sat down with Postacoglu for good 45 minutes yesterday honestly it was it was fantastic it was gave us such an amazing sense of the person um that's going to come out over the next few days you're going to see bits and pieces from that because obviously there was a lot said and he's he's a fascinating guy he's a guy that um i was going to use a bad word there but i won't he uh he won't accept any um, how do I say that without saying a bad word? He accepts no rubbish, let's put it that way. He doesn't suffer fools gladly. Um, and when you sit down for him for that a length of time, you understand why players follow him and you understand what a good communicator he is. And one of the things that he that we have put out from that to sit down with him thus far is, obviously, you've seen the stuff about the centre-backs. and I asked him about that. And I also... Um, asked him about areas of the squad because it's such a big one that he'd identified thus far. 
And while talking about that, he said, yeah, obviously I had already identified like the goalkeeper was one area, central defence is another. But another thing he said that I found that was quite interesting about the the squad and the large number that it is, as well as saying that he wanted to have a look at them, get a bit of clarity in his head over some of them, but also give them clarity over whether they have a future under him. Um, he said, there's no, where is it? I want to. I've got it here somewhere. There it is. Um, I think you'll find that a lot of them will say, to be honest, it's not for me the way we're playing and the way we're training. Because like I say, I do things differently. Um, It gives you clarity about certain things. And there's no doubt the squad will be whittled down and there will be some more changes between now and probably the end of the transfer window. So I just thought that phrase was really interesting. You'll find that a lot of them will say, to be honest, it's not for me. Which is weird because watching the game, it looked like actually the opposite. I thought everyone was trying to take on board what he was saying. But I I wondered, I mean, this question to you, who do you think he means there by a lot of them? Does he mean the players coming back from loan that maybe were expected to go out? Does he just mean the squad in general? What do you reckon? Maybe a bit of both. I mean, in terms of the players coming back from Malone, your likes of Tangi on the belly, Giovanni Lo Celso, who have spent the past 18 months away uh, from the club. I mean, if you put yourselves in their shoes, having been away for that long, not being part of the plans, would you maybe just want a fresh start somewhere else? I think that might be maybe what what he means. Uh, Can I not dream of a Basuma on Dembele Madison uh, midfielder? <laughs> well, I mean, you can do. Uh, whether or not that's going to be the case going forward, we'll uh, have to wait and see. But, I mean, like you've seen, even if you're watching that, watching how, you know, Tottenham played the other day, surely you'd want to be a part of that team. So it's just going to be attack, attack, attack. And, you know, if everything comes off for him, and, you know, Spurs could potentially have a really, really good season. So, yeah, there's... Decisions to be made, I think for me, it's just, why wouldn't you want to be involved in that? In Andrew Postacoglu's Tottenham revolution, why wouldn't you? Yeah, you know, I, I agree, but like you say, it doesn't always work like that. Sometimes players just don't want to be at a club. It doesn't matter who the manager is. Um, sometimes, yeah, they have a club that they're desperate to go to that are showing some interest. So they kind of don't buy in entirely into the, the way the new manager says, but I just thought that was really interesting. And that uh, chat with him came after the match as well. So it almost is like maybe he saw something in the match about some other players. I mean, there's people like, like poor Joe Roden has really been involved at all yet. And I don't think he's got an injury. I don't think so. I know Obviously, in that group we spoke about earlier that kind of were left out and were training on their own, we know Dyer and Spence have been coming back from issues that they've had and and, and injuries and stuff like that. But I don't think that's the case with Roden. Um, You know, he even played Davies, didn't he, as a central defender rather than a left-back just to fill that gap. So I guess maybe players like Joe Roden, maybe he's already made his his mind up, uh, Postacoglu, on him, which is a shame because I would have liked to have seen him given a chance. But... Certainly, there's going to be a few, um, well, it has to be <laughs> kind of a 37-man squad because you've got 31 out there. You've got six senior players still at Hotspur Way. Um, I mean, you take, what, three or four of those academy players, aren't they, out of that? So you're still looking at about 34. You're probably going to have to still lose about seven, eight players as this window goes on. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's going to have to be a mass exodus, really. Um, and also, I think you have to because I think don't forget they're they're looking to bring in another couple at least as well. So yeah, it could be a crazy real rebuild. But then that's what Postacoglu loves. I think he loves that challenge of trying to. We've seen it at previous clubs. I think he did it at Celtic as well. His last job was very much kind of undertake a rebuild um, because he can then shape it how he wants it to look like. So yeah, yeah, manic weeks ahead, I think. Yeah, very much so. And I think things will become a lot clearer in terms of the team over the coming weeks with the friendlies on the agenda. And as you were saying, there's plenty to do. I mean, we do the loan roundup every week during the season and (laughs) how many were out on loan last year? About 13 at one point, 11 maybe. Yeah, second half was 11. But yeah, there was probably a couple in the first half as well. Because 12 months ago, there was a lot of late movement in the transfer window in terms of the players heading out on loan. You like Sergio Reggion, Harry Winks, Ndombele, Lacelso. And, you know, the same could well happen again because <laughs> you cannot have a 37-man squad, especially when yeah. you've no European football <laughs> as well. And the limit's 25 anyway in it's the like Premier Chelsea League. Chelsea versus Spurs, who can have the biggest squad? Yeah. Right. Uh, another player who made his mark against West Ham. Destiny Udoggy came on for his Tottenham debut. I think this is one Tottenham fans have been waiting a good 12 months to see because, you know, he's been a shining light for Udinese in Serie A and crowned his Spurs debut with a really good header. Flicks header from, I think it was even Perisic's corner, you know, gave the keeper no chance. And then what we saw from Udoggy on his Tottenham debut when he's playing at left-back, He's going to be bombing forward and looking to attack when there's an opportunity there. So he can be a big player for Tottenham in the final third. Absolutely, yeah. When we spoke to him, I think we spoke to him, if I remember correctly, ahead of the match. I would have loved to have asked him about kind of what it was like to then have to come in field as an inverted fullback at times and play in the centre because that kind of goes against what he's been used to doing in bombing down that wing. Um but no, he played well. He's got real skill on the ball. There was one drive forward he did where it looked like the ball was super glued to his foot. It just didn't even look like it was barely going in front of him as he ran. Um, obviously, like you say, the header was lovely. It was a really good finish. Um, and he's clearly got the fitness levels and the energy as well to get up and down there. And he's so young, only 20 years old. There's so much Postacoglu can do with him. I do wonder in the early weeks of the season whether we see Davies maybe used to begin with just for the experience while uh, Mudogi gets used to it and, and adapts. Um, but then you, you can definitely see how he could be the long-term you know, man on, on that wing as long as he can. I think he's admitted himself he has to improve his defending a bit. When we spoke to him, you know, also I must stress, he. I did ask, how do you pronounce your surname? And it is Udogi. Um, just because we've heard like Udoji, we've heard some lots of different ones, uh, but he said no, it is a doggy. Um, he's he's a really interesting guy because he grew up um, in Verona. That was where he was born and raised. His parents were both from Nigeria, I think it was. Their first language they would speak around the house was English, so his English is really good. Um, which obviously is going to help him settle even quicker into English life and, and the Premier League and, and his with his new teammates and uh, yeah he's um, 
lots of kind of interesting little things. I'm trying to remember some of the things he said. That we put the have have a little look on on Football of London. We put the interview out. I think it was after the match it went out. Um, yeah, he he's a he's an interesting guy. Obviously, he's been at. I think he started off at Hellas Verona, didn't he? And then he went on to Udinese, where he within the space of only two years, really. Um, obviously, one of those alone back from Spurs became probably one of the most highly rated young Italian defenders in the league. Um, fullback, certainly. And uh, yeah, he's a, he loves his, um, not only his NBA, the basketball, but also his tennis and Djokovic. And bearing in mind that I stayed up in Australian time to watch the Wimbledon final, which went on past 2am, I said to him, I said, uh, you look a little bit tired then. You, you uh, stay up and watch the final? He went, yep. <laughs> so they obviously had allowed to have a couple of late nights. Um, and his man Djokovic didn't even win it. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's got a lot of confidence. I asked him about players that he'd kind of come up against, Spurs players, and he was like, yeah, yeah, Kulusevsky, yeah, yeah. I came up against him last year, kept him quiet, pretty much is what he said. And then I, he was asked about Vicario, and he was like, yeah, I didn't score against him. He was lucky. He was really lucky kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a really lovely confidence that runs through him, and I think that'll bode well for him in this new kind of, league he knows he's also fully aware that he's going to have to continue to improve and as a young player of course he's got a huge ceiling he's going to have to get better and obviously we spoke about the difference of being a wing back to being a left back um, and understanding that he's not just constantly going to be kind of attacking he's going to have to do a lot of defending but that's an element of his game I think with his strength as well and we've we've seen he's got a heading ability he's got a lovely header so there's no reason he's got all the tools to do it. Um, yeah, I'm quite excited to see how he develops. I think I think it probably was going to spell the end for Ryan Sessignon anyway, certainly in terms of a loan this summer un- um, until he's really unfortunate. Um, well, requirement, I guess, to have hamstring surgery. But um, yeah, Doggy's going to be a very exciting player for the future, I think. Right, so then Tottenham next in action on Sunday against Leicester. Obviously, they're leaving Perth, I think, tomorrow. They're going to Bangkok in Thailand. Uh, going to be another decent test uh, against Leicester, who've strengthened well so far this summer with some good players coming into the club, uh, most notably Harry Winks. Uh, a yes. quick reunion for Harry Winks, and likewise for James Madison as well, coming up against his Leicester teammates. In terms of the team then, we're expecting a bit more of a, a mix-and-match team. Uh, Son, surely, going to be given an opportunity in this game and Tangi and Dembele, you know, especially if he's all right after that knocking training. Yeah, I wonder which way they do it. If if you're thinking about maybe it being a 60-minute, whether maybe Son gets the first 45 or whether Son comes on for the half an hour towards the end, it'll be interesting to see which way it works. Same with Tongi, really. Um, and yes, with the 60-minute thing, you'll definitely get more of an idea of which players are probably not part of Postacoglu's plans because they probably won't come on at all. Because that's the thing, they're only allowed 14 subs on that bench. So it's not, we kind of always think of friendlies like, oh, you know, you can just name as many, but they couldn't. It was only 14 and it's such a huge squad, they wouldn't all fit on there. Uh, Probably quite literally as well. (laughs) There's probably nowhere to sit. Um, But the other thing that's going to be interesting is going to be the climate change. Because here in Perth, it's only about 16, 17 degrees at the most. It's it's actually quite chilly when the sun's not out. Um, having looked at the weather, because obviously I'll be landing in um, Bangkok as well, 
it's in the mid early to mid 30s and it's monsoon season there so it's going to be pretty humid um it's going to going to take a lot out of those players in terms of their training they're going to have to acclimatize in a very short space of time because i think they touched down very late on friday night maybe even into the early hours of saturday i can't remember so essentially they've got saturday and sunday that's it to really get used to a very different climate um so yeah it's uh, it's going to be a bit of a shock to their their bodies but again fitness wise probably a very good thing and singapore will be roughly the same temperature but certainly remembering singapore from 4 years ago on the pre-season under poch it was more of a dry heat rather than a kind of a, a, a crazy humidity thing um but yeah that's i don't think it's the worst thing to have some kind of uh, much hotter conditions when you're doing your that's why managers always try and do warm weather training don't they it kind of uh it pushes you that little bit more and makes you that little bit fitter as well um and it's interesting because the training sessions like today for instance was a double session but it hasn't been a double session every day postacoglu has very much been balancing which days to do it i think he wants to make sure that they're not especially when you're trying to put across a new ideas of philosophy he doesn't want them tired he wants their brains to be able to handle it because that's the the thing with the postacoglu sessions is that they are pretty much all with the ball they're these 60 70 minute on this summer tour from what i understand they've never been any more than 90 minutes long each session and they're very ball focused they're very much trying to exactly uh replicate what would happen in a match scenario and the ball, if the ball goes off, it is lobbed straight back in. There's no kind of they only they'll have a couple of prescribed like water bottle breaks and that's it. Other than that, it's constant and relentless. And yeah, especially when so they had they trained this morning, a few of them went off to the zoo, which is all, and they were back for an afternoon training session as well. Um and it's about playing in the way training in the way they'll play so that their bodies will get used to it. The The sessions here are up to 90 minutes. In the season, they'll be 60, 70, which is supposed to replicate the amount of time the ball's in play, but obviously doing two a day as well. So you would think they would naturally get fit enough to play the Postacoglu way. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be hot for them over the next few days. We've all been wearing like trousers and jumpers over here, and suddenly that's all going to have to be very much quickly be shorts and T-shirts. So uh yeah, we'll get to see the Postacoglu legs. They're going to come out. <laughs> Not that that's the most important thing for anyone in this tour, but uh, we are yet to see the Postacoglu kneecaps. Um, I hope he never hears me say that because that would be weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm fascinated to see. And there's, I know there's, there's an incredibly passionate Spurs fan base here in Perth. They've been brilliant. There were 6,000 of them just at the open training session. And they, um, I was told they could have sold out thousands more, but that was kind of the allocation they were allowed to do. The match had 46,000 fans there as well, and I think it was predominantly Spurs from what I could tell. And I certainly know that Singapore's a huge uh, Spurs fan base, and Thailand, from what I understand, is a big old passionate kind of fan base there as well. So, uh, yeah, it'd be great, great to see different fan bases as well and see and bring the football to them, having watched... Yeah. Wimbledon in the middle of the night I am now fully aware of the what those fans have to go through to watch matches in the middle of the night and the early hours of the morning yeah yeah it's going to be uh, a test certainly uh, for Tottenham on Sunday against Leicester 
especially against you know a decent team and then obviously the climate as well but yeah it's going to be interesting in terms of the team as well given there's 32 31 players out there and just says he's going to start obviously stepping up the minutes for players now it's going to be 60 60 to 70 minutes in this game against Leicester so he's not going to be able to please everyone obviously there was Eric Dyer, Jed Spence, who had injury issues towards the end of last season. You'd be hoping they'd be able to play some part, at least Joe Roden as well. Uh, I mean, Dane Scarlett, could he even be in the squad? Yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting. Uh, but a decent start in the first game, and you're just hoping Spurs can kick on a bit more in this game against Leicester. And then in the upcoming game, I think Wednesday is it, against Lion City Sailors. Yeah, because obviously they've got Line City Sailors. Then the Donetsk, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk and Barcelona games are only two days apart. So you'd imagine they'd have to be different lineups. And I think they played Cambridge United, didn't they, in a training ground friendly. You'd imagine when they get back, there'll be some more of those because they've got that funny gap, haven't they? They're that first weekend they come back, they arrive so late, you can't really have any match that weekend, I don't think. So you probably need a training ground friendly, either on the what Sunday or Monday maybe or Tuesday um, and that's maybe when the other players will get some time as well One of the main talking points obviously this summer has been Harry Kane's future it continues oh, to it? be I haven't noticed <laughs> Yeah it continues to be a major talking point in Australia and I know you were at an event yesterday uh, a really early uh, Q&A <laughs> Uh, with Ange Postacoglu and obviously he was asked about Harry Kane. Do you want to fill everyone in on what he was saying? Yeah, well, to be honest, poor old Ange has been asked about Harry Kane so many times because if this tour wasn't in Australia, I think it would have been really overshadowed and dominated by the Harry Kane talk. I think the fact that it's in Australia, most of the Australians care about Postacoglu. That's they love the fact that kind of one of their own is the manager of a Premier League club and, and there's a real fascination with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first question of his first press conference when he touched down in Australia was about Harry Kane. And actually, I think the next five were, I think the first six questions were about Harry Kane. Um, and it's it's unfortunate that his first kind of preseason tour has this kind of hanging over it um unfortunately it's just that's just the situation right now and and he's come in i guess fully aware that that is the situation um and yes so i had that a very early morning start after the match uh to be fair so did he um it was um it was like it was how was it termed it was called on the couch with Ange. um it was like a breakfast with Ange postacoglu where he sat as a huge ballroom in this uh massive uh, I don't know if it was a conference centre or a hotel or what it was. It was the Crown in Perth. And it was absolutely the biggest ballroom I've ever been in. You know, I'm not exactly the, the poshest person in the world. So I don't really go to many ballrooms as it is anyway. But this one had 500 people in it. It was all like kind of business type CEOs, but also loads of them Spurs fans as well. Um, Scott Munn was there. Um, in an unofficial capacity, of course, just happened to be passing by. Um, the incoming chief football officer of, of Tottenham Hotspur, and yeah, he was there and um, 
watching on and I was very fortunate enough to have a seat and watch it was 45 same as the sit down 45 minute Q&A um most of it was kind of about his backstory but of course right at the end they did ask about Harry Kane I'm just trying to find because I did write down the quotes here um let's have a look that's about defenders we're, we're going to get on to defenders in a minute um he spoke about him here we are right he was asked, the question was, will Kane be up front for Tottenham Hotspur when the season begins? And his first words were, I certainly hope so. Um, he kind of then went on to say, he can't, He, you know, what he's learned is that you've got to deal with the certainties that you have in your squad and just work from there. Um, and he said, you know, He's with the club at the moment. He's a legend of the football club already. If he retired today, they'd still probably build a statue for him. He's a fantastic guy, a fantastic professional, but with everything in life, there are always uncertainties there. Um, and yeah, he said, you've got to always have contingencies in your head. He said, it's not just about Harry, it's about any player. He said, what if a player got an injury right on the eve of the new season? He's got to be ready to kind of plan around them and, and what that means. Um, but yeah, he ended it by saying, one of the attractions of the role, I guess, is to be able to work with people like Harry and Sonny and the guys who are already premier footballers in their own right, but also for the club. Hopefully, I get to work with Harry a lot longer. Um, look, the whole Bayern-Kane situation, it, it's its kind of a little bit ridiculous at the moment because this is all this noise coming from Munich. Oh, you know, he wants to come to us Spurs must let him go. <laughs> no, they don't. And it's like, Daniel Levy must find a price, I think Hoonis said. It's like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't have to find a price. We're in any world. Do they have to do this? Um, and just the sense within Spurs is there's a lot of noise coming from Bayern Munich, but not really anything in the way of action and a proper bid for one of the best strikers in the world. It's very strange. And I don't know whether the plan for Bayern is to, is to wait it out is to see whether Spurs get nervy, because I think that works the other way. If you wait too long, Spurs don't have any chance to try and bring any, any not that you can really replace Harry Kane, but bring in other attacking players. You know, they may well think, well, maybe Richarlison fits the Postacoglu number nine role, and we shove him in there. But I would say I'd be slightly worried about a player that scored one Premier League goal last season, replacing one who scored 30. But I understand the logic that he fits the sacrificial lamb running everywhere kind of role that is normally a Postacoglu number nine. Although I would say Postacoglu has adapted his team for the likes of Mark Viduka before and people like that. It doesn't have to always be that kind of player. Um, but yeah, it's with Kane, what I just keep hearing as well is that it's kind of just open to all eventualities at the moment, whether that is moving, if Bayern were to able to, to get any kind of bid that Spurs would look at whether that means going staying at Spurs for another season, going on a free next year, or whether that means just enjoying Postacoglu football. And if it is as good as everyone hopes it is, then maybe he signs a new contract later this year. From what I understand, all of those options have not been ruled out by Kane at all. But ultimately, Bayern have to start kind of stop almost like barking and yapping like an annoying kind of dog in the distance and if they really want Harry Kane, what's scary about this is I remember you and I saying this about City. It was in 2021. It was all like, if you really want him, prove it. There's always this kind of, oh, we love him, we love him, and, and all this. Uh, sorry, to be fair, City were never publicly saying that. It's not nothing like what Bayern are doing. 
But in a, in the sense of, yeah, if they really want him, absolutely go all out and get him. And unless Bayern do that, I can't see how this situation resolves itself in their favour. They will have to come in with a decent figure and a decent bid. And, you know, all this talk of he hasn't even given them a number. Yes, that's, what's, <laughs> that's what happens from not really wanting to sell a player and thus you have to go mega offer to try and at least force some talks. You can't just put in a low ball offer, let's be honest. What was the what was it, sixty eight million? Was it they got up? Something it something like that. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, but if that's what you're gonna muster as your kind of whether that's an opening offer or what it ends up being, it's just crazy. But I can't see Spurs allowing this to drag on. I think they'll have to just come to a point where it's like, okay. If you really think you're serious about this, let us know what you're intending. Because after this point, we're not really even discussing it right now. And after a certain point, forget it. Phone's off the hook. <laughs> you're not getting through kind of thing. Because it'll end up affecting everyone. And at the moment, you know, Harry Kane is, is an incredible prof- professional. So I don't imagine it's affecting him in, in any way at this moment in time because he's been here before. But there is going to get to a stage where it starts disrupting Postacoglu's preseason and and the plans and, like I say, everything's dominated in the the questioning of him at the moment about it and it's just an annoying nuisance in the background, isn't it? And maybe that's the plan. Maybe Bayern want to kind of keep doing this, but I don't think it does them any favors being noisy about it. I don't actually think it does Kane any favors constantly them saying that he wants to go to them. Um, yeah. My hope is that Postacoglu football shows Kane just how many chances he could have to score goals. And he might think, do you know what? Maybe we're going to win a cup or two this season. And that actually is worth tons more than going abroad and, and getting a, an easier trophy. Yeah, I think it's just what these West Spurs just need it to be nips in the bud right now. Just get it over and done with. Because uh, the one Kane is part of the plans going forward. Because obviously someone who's scored 30 goals for the club, the uh, 30 Premier League goals last season, club's all-time record goal scorer. He can play a massive part for, massive part for Ange Postacoglu. And I know a lot of fans I saw on Twitter were saying, weren't buying, basically crying about the exact same thing last year with Lewandowski in Barcelona. Now they're yeah. doing exactly the same thing. Just That's football for you. It's it a very is. fickle, contradictory, or hypocritical world. It is. And no, I totally agree with you. It needs to get to a certain point where, right, that's it. It's done. It's done. Because the last thing you'd want is, was it Berbatov who went final day of 2008 oh. transfer window, like right at the end? Was it Fraser Campbell yeah. who came in? That loan? was it. I was trying to remember the name. Yeah. Came in on loan. Yeah. That's like one situation you just have to avoid. Uh, but Absolutely. yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how it plays out. But hopefully ends with Harry Kane staying at Tottenham right at the other end of the pitch then Tuesday's defeat against West Ham certainly highlighted that Tottenham need defensive reinforcements three weeks to go until the Brentford game now just over will Ange Postacoglu have them in time uh, for the trip across West London well, he certainly seems to think that it will, because that was one of my questions kind of when we were sitting down in this big sit down is that I just said to him, look, you, you know, 
you kind of already said he'd said the thing I said earlier about having identified a goalkeeper and centre backs as being kind of obviously there's no secret. He said it's areas we need, which of course would lead you to think, well, why have they not come in sooner? Um, if they were clearly one of the first priorities he saw. But uh, let me just—I've got his answer here. I said, I said, do you um, do you expect to have new options in the centre back role? in centre-back positions before the season begins? And his answer was, yeah, I think that's definitely our intention. Absolutely. We've been working on it for a while and we'll definitely try to get it done as quickly as possible. So it does make you think that that hopefully we'll wrap something up shortly after either whether it's done while they're on tour or returning from tour. Again, we know the targets they've been looking at. It's no secret They've held talks with Bayer Leverkusen over Edmund Tapsoba. They've held talks with Wolfsburg over Mickey van der Ven. Um, both can play on the left side of the defence. Um, van der Ven obviously covers the left back as well as another option there. Uh, Tapsoba, the more experienced of the two, hence a, a, a higher transfer fee. I've been told, or from what I understand, certainly from speaking to various people around it all, is that you can't rule out entirely the prospect of them going for both, but it would very much depend on who heads out the door. You know, we know that the club would listen to offers for Sanchez, Tanganga, Roden. I don't think Dyer's likely to move purely because there doesn't seem to be a desperate desire from him t- to go. Um, maybe it would depend on on if a, a really kind of a club that would entice him would come in for him but ultimately it does look like he feels that a fully fit version of himself could work very well under Postacoglu and he's quite excited about it all but obviously we'll see what offers do if any come in for him because the thing is he does have a year left in his contract he is someone that surely Spurs have to have a little think and and either they're going to offer him a, a contract which I'm sure will go down very well with the fans um, or they're going to sell him if a, an offer came in. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But ultimately, those are the two we know the kind of main targets. But then there's also, you know, there's Tosin Adarabayu. We've spoken before. Spurs really like him at Fulham. Um, Palace have got a few they like. Mark Gay and um, jo- uh, is it Wacking or Jochim Anderson? How do you pronounce it? It's one of those. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Is it Joachim or... I love the fact that my pronunciations of that players are so bad that I have actually hope they sign, then I can ask them how to pronounce their name. <laughs> um, but there's, yeah, there's Amazon, of course, there's Clement Longley, who is still there as a, a potential option if they maybe can't get the first choice ones they want. So, but they, it feels like we've kind of been talking about this for so long. It, you do think like what's what are they waiting for? Are they waiting for a price to kind of drop a little bit, um, which is always dangerous, especially when Chelsea have just had you know lost Fafana. They could end up looking for centre backs, and and who knows? They may end up trying to get one of those players, and and that stuff Spurs. And we know Spurs in the past have waited far too long on some transfers and end up getting themselves stuffed by compete, uh, rival clubs. So. Postacoglu made it very clear. It's He didn't go as far to say as I expect it. He says, like, that's our intention. But you can tell. He wants it. He wants a new defender. They need it. They need a at least, well, the aim is to get two. 
you need at least one before the season starts, I think. Get them in on the left side alongside Romero. Um, and it's just about spending the money. Um, and obviously there's other areas as well. If Hoybier goes, I think they are going to have to bring in another midfielder. You know, we know our, our boss Lee Wilmot has written in the past about Conor Gallagher and the interest there. Um, but centre-back has to be done. It's so important. It's such a massive one. I still can't entirely get my head around the fact that it hasn't been done yet. Yeah, you'd think that'd be first priority this summer, first yeah. first signing. But I think as long as they get the players, ideally, uh, early in the, the window, then that's the main thing. You just want them in place for the Brentford game. You don't want to be going into the final week of the transfer window, still searching for the centre-backs because, you know, as we've said for some time, it is a priority and Tuesday very much highlighted that, you know, big changes do need to take place at the back this summer in order for, you know, Tottenham to kick on and go places. Uh, He's going to be one defensive incoming though, uh, Ashley Phillips from Blackburn Rovers, young 18-year-old in a three million deal. He's certainly one for the future. He he's played eight games in the championship this uh, during his time at Blackburn. So you know, someone who's made a big impression at Ewood Park, and I think Tottenham will be hoping that he can become a big player for the club uh, over the coming years. Yeah, it's quite funny when you've got a signing like this because. It was very clear that he he's one for the future. He's not going to be part of these kind of two that they're looking for senior centre backs. But when I first saw like the links with it, I could see that some fans were going, "Ah, oh, typical cheap Spurs kind of in a cheap young option." And then when I put out that he's like he's one for the future, he's only played eight championship games, kind of thing. It's not what this kind of signing is. People were going, "One for the future. Spurs need defenders now. Get him in now." And it's like, "No, no, no. Wait a minute." Um, are you happy? Are you not happy? I'm so confused. Um, but yeah, he's a very talented young player. England under 19 international. Like I say, he's had eight championship appearances. Spurs very much, I think, taking advantage of the fact that Blackburn are a bit stuffed financially at the moment. Um, deals reportedly worth around three million pounds. Um, six foot three. He's a big lad as well. And he is going to be part of the first team squad. He's going to once it's all finalised and complete, he's going to fly out for the... Um, I don't know whether it will arrive in time for the game in Bangkok. We'll see. But certainly they, the aim is to try and have him on a, a major, or certainly a, a part of this Asian tour side of it. Um, do you know, the one that does interest me is to see how it affects Alfie Dorrington. Because Alfie Dorrington was right on the cusp, it kind of, I felt, of, of kind of getting to be that guy that Postacoglu had a look at. Um, very talented, you know, young player as well. Also 18, kind of like the big, I guess the big defender in the academy, the next in line really to make the jump. Just signed a new deal last month until 2026. Um, but this is someone kind of feels like, especially being in the first team squad and put on the on the tour, kind of feels like they've leapfrogged him, come in and jumped over him. So, I'm intrigued to see what, what happens now with Alfie. I don't know whether he'll get a loan. I think there's the idea is maybe that he steps up and has another full season for the under-21s because he is still young. Um, but yeah, that must be a little bit disappointing, I'd imagine, um, seeing Ashley Phillips come in and, and, and leap over him. But then I guess if he's played eight times in the championship. He is more experienced. Um, but yeah, one of those where 
it feels like Spurs are getting in there nice and early, uh, identified talent, and yeah, making sure they get in before others and hopefully will become a very good Spurs player in the years to come. Right, we'll call it a day for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Hot Tottenham. There was plenty to discuss, certainly a number of positives to take from that West Ham game. And we'll be back next week to discuss the Leicester City and the Lion City Sailor game. So as ever, thank you for tuning in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.